This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 788. Outside of those first two houses, how much of your own money have you had to spend acquiring any of the rest of those assets? Besides my own personal land that I just purchased to build my dream home, I haven't put a down payment down since I've been uh, on this journey. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, here today with Henry Washington, interviewing one of Henry's friends, Laban Woods. Look, this is a show that I can already predict is going to be one of our more popular shows. It's going to be spread all over the place, so you are in for a treat. Lamont's story is simply fascinating. It's also heartwarming. He's got a ton of information he shares that other people can follow, and he did it all in a market that a lot of people would have never even considered investing in. Henry, what are the parts of the show that you think that investors will get the most value from? Oh, man. I think there's there's two key parts that investors should pay attention to. Uh, one, one more practical and one more mindset. I think the practical is Lamont explaining how he uses what he calls or what's called cross collateralization to build his portfolio. So he's essentially figured out a way to work with lenders and buy properties by leveraging other assets he has and not having to bring his own money to the table. And this is, uh, for some people, this may be something that they heard of before, but a lot of people have never really thought to talk to their banks about cross-collateralization or how they could leverage assets they have in order to purchase more assets. And so that strategy is fantastic. I think you're going to learn a ton about how to do that. The, the more mindset is, I love how Lamont talks about how he went and spoke to his bank about uh, seasoning periods, because I think that hangs up a lot of investors when they talk about using a strategy that involves a lot of leverage. People get scared about seasoning periods. They think it holds them back. But Lamont did something that I think a lot of investors need to do more of because he didn't just take something at face value. He went and he met with his lender to talk about these things. So I think, please, please listen to those tidbits and those bits of information, because it could really help you grow your portfolio. Especially in today's market, right? It's not as simple as decide to invest, save up money, pick your market, go buy a property, make money. Now there's a lot of people trying to do the same thing. You have to be able to see angles that other people don't see. So today's episode is fitting for the current market. Now, before we bring in Lamont, today's quick tip is simple. Remember that money is a store of energy and it comes in different forms. Equity is also a store of energy. Lamont shares a strategy of borrowing money to buy properties without using it on the property that he is buying. We call this cross-collateralization. We will learn more about this in today's show. But you will think of strategies like this and other ones when you understand that you have energy or wealth stored in many different investment vehicles, not just the cash sitting in your wallet right now. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. We need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. 
you get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to renttoretirement.com today. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. You've heard us talk about it before. High interest rates are crushing real estate investors, leaving even some of the best investors in need of funding now. But with today's liquidity crisis, who can fill the demand? With Fundrise, America's largest direct-to-investor alternative asset manager, you have the opportunity to. Fundrise's new opportunistic private credit strategy was designed specifically for this new market environment. Fundrise supplies high-demand bridge financing on high-quality assets with creditworthy borrowers. Top real estate investors get the funding they need while you walk away getting paid a healthy interest rate. To date, Fundrise has completed more than $500 million worth of private credit deals with an average net interest of 10.8%, and they've already amassed a pipeline worth more than $300 million. Don't sit on the sidelines. You can take advantage of this unique window of opportunity while it lasts with Fundrise's new private credit strategy. Ready to start? Go to Fundrise.com pockets to learn more. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash pockets. This is a paid endorsement for Fundrise. Past performance is not indicative of future results. All investments can lead to loss. All right, let's bring in Lamont. All right, Lamont, let's dive into what your portfolio looks like right now. This is very impressive. Currently, you have 107 properties with $70,000 a month in rent roll. You've got two employees plus you and your wife, Alicia, an in-house property manager and an office manager. Side note, that's actually a pretty effective way to structure two employees. I'm like, wow, that sounds really good. Uh, and you're crushing it in real estate. I understand you and Henry know each other. Is that the, is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, I know Henry. Uh, this is the second time. Actually, Henry's gave me a, a great platform to uh, speak on. Uh, he invited me down to Arkansas, me and my wife and my uh, boys. And we went down there and that was... Uh, 
it was a blessing to know Henry because he invited me, but it was a blessing. I got to bring some of my really good friends with me. And still to this day, they talk about that weekend because we don't get those type of weekends being at home, being in like a smaller market. So it's like kind of limited pool of investors and stuff. So just it's good to be able to do something, but also being able to bring them with me. That what made me happy as well. So and then getting the opportunity to be on this podcast, a show that uh, I started listening to in like 2014 a little bit, but then 2015, I kind of really turned it up and really started listening, man. And um, so I appreciate Henry for that. And I pre- good to meet you and appreciate you as well. Thanks, man. Henry does have that effect on people. I <laughs> frequently find myself waking up in a hotel room today, fondly remembering the last time I saw Henry just kind of brings, he's like, it's like knowing a human hug is what that is. Strong, masculine, warm, encouraging, everything that you need. So glad to know you guys know each other. Now, before we get too much into your story, I want to ask, how would you summarize your current real estate strategy? Uh, right now, it's a rebranding. You know, a lot of things I did in the past, so I was just, I call it survival mode. I was working a job uh, making $26,874.33. And I had a wife and three kids and uh, I was just hustling. So now my strategy has changed. You know, I just buy a lot of properties in a rental hood, Section 8. We do a lot of Section 8 and a lot of lease to purchase and stuff. So now... Uh, I like now I just bought my uh, I'm closing on some properties tomorrow and I just bought a property last week that it uh rents for like fourteen hundred dollars a month. So for me, you know, that's a step up in the direction. So right now it, it changed when I'm buying properties with a higher ARV, you know, and uh more margins in the rental spread for as far as the rent rates and stuff like that. So so you're saying when you first got started, a lot of the properties you were buying were probably more inexpensive and then they didn't have high margins. So you were getting yeah, low entry prices, but then renting them and getting getting a little bit of cash flow. And so now you're focusing on higher value properties that can can make you a higher spread. Yeah. So right now I'm in a, a long term. So in a, when I first wanted to quit my job and got in real estate, it was cash flow. I was chasing the cash flow. I would chase as much cash flow I could as possible. But now I've gotten a, like in a decent financial situation and stuff like that. They're now kind of like pull back. And I can strategize more and I can breathe a little bit. So now I kind of refocus my energy and buy different assets for more for the longer term holds. And some of the properties I bought in 2017, 18, when I first thought I've been selling off here. So like my door count changes. So like I might be at 115, then I might sell three or four of the ones that I bought for cash flow. And on those properties, I'm typically making 20,000 a door when I sell different between what the market is appraising, what they're appraising for now way higher than when I bought them. And now I owe like twenty thousand, eighteen, fifteen thousand on them to the bank, and I'm selling them for thirty five thousand, forty thousand or so, and I'm able to make a spread, and I'm taking it and just buying better assets. So it's curious when you're when you're looking at your portfolio, and you said I'm going to sell these ones, I'm going to use that money to buy others. How are you making the decision? That these are the ones I should sell. These are the ones I should keep, and then what you should go buy. Uh, basically, I'm uh, I uh, create a spreadsheet, and I'm emailing the bank, getting release numbers on certain loan numbers, and I'm looking at okay, I got a property over there in this couple mile radius, and it'll appraise for that. Uh, my friends are telling me, hey, because they are still buying. I call it the rental hood. They are really trying to scale and grow like where I was a couple years ago. So they're still buying properties, and they'll tell me, hey, this property appraised for this. Then I go look at my address and see I owe this, which is significantly less than what their property. So then I, I just sell. And basically the ones when I got to get in the truck and go over there that I hate going to, it's just time to dump them. I don't like going to them no more. So it's time to get rid of them. I love that. And, and it, it resonates with me right now because it's, it, you know, there's, there's levels. 
levels, right, to investing. When you're starting out, you're trying to get in the game and you're trying to do it in the best way possible, right? Buying something that you know is going to give you a return. And sometimes we will uh, take on a project maybe in a neighborhood we don't love, but it's going to give us the numbers we want. Or um, maybe it's a class of property that isn't your favorite, but it's going to provide you the return you're looking for. But as you start to grow and scale your business and your portfolio, your time is also more valuable than it was before you started and your peace of mind is uh is more valuable and so when something starts to give you a headache man i totally agree with you i'm like i had i had a, we have a duplex right now it was a pain in the butt to rent and then once we had the tenants in it the some of the tenants d- don't love the neighborhood and so we have high turnover and one of our tenants just gave us notice that they were leaving and my first thought was sell it get it out of here i don't even care like I know I can make some money on it. It's a phenomenal duplex. It's a rare duplex. It's a three, two, two car garage. You don't have too many of those. And I'm like, get it out of here. I know it's a great asset, but I just would much rather not have to deal with the headache. My wife, on the other hand, is all about the holds. And so she's not letting me sell it. But if it were purely up to me, that sucker would be gone. So I get it. But what I, what I like about you, Lamont, is you hustle for everything that you have and you kind of got started and Again, I tell people like this isn't a journey where you get to know all the steps before you start. You kind of have to take a risk and get started and then learn as you go. And your story is the epitome of that. Uh, and I think like people just really need to know and hear your story because it's so inspirational. So can you talk to us a little bit about um, like before you got into real estate, like what what caused you to find real estate and then how that led to you doing your first deal? Oh, uh, man, I was uh, I was heavily influenced by music. Like I'm a big fan of JC, Rick Walters, guys, and they talk about being a CEO and stuff like that. So I was listening to that and then I realized I was working a job that I just hated. You know, I hated waking up in the morning, having to go to that place. I had no desire, uh, no push or nothing like that. But I knew I had to pay the bills and I had to take care of the family, uh, you know, so I had to do what I got to do. I was working at the Coca-Cola plant and uh, I was uh, merchandising, just going in stores and stocking the Coca-Cola, the Red Bull and different things like that. And I just hated it. And I was making an $868 paycheck every two weeks. And we were staying in a rental hood. We, our rent was five fifty. I was making less than 30 grand a year. My wife was making less than 30 grand a year. And that's all we was able to afford. And uh, my wife had an idea one day and she was like, hey, we should buy this property. We doing a work on it. We rarely call the landlord, the property management company and report repairs and stuff. We are doing myself. And I was like, you know, you know, when you stay in a place, a less desirable area, your goal is not to buy the house and live there. So when she came to me with that idea, I was like, man, like, no, nah, I don't like I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not trying to do that. And she was just. Uh, saying we don't got to pay rent no more and different things like that. We already put some of our own money in it and stuff. So it started to make sense. And uh, I went talk to my dad about it, talk to my mom about it. And I was still nervous, but my wife actually ended up going to pay the rent at the property management, Century 21, the property management company. And she just asked the uh, property manager how, and he was like, yeah, my investor do want to sell. And she and they gave her a price. The price was 15000 And it was like, you can get $15,000 cash and um uh, Oh, uh, you can buy it. So what ended up happening was we ended up purchasing the property for some year. We've never got no income tax like that in our life ever again. But, uh, we got enough money between my tax return, her tax return and a couple of dollars that we had saved up. We was able to purchase that property outright. And like I said, the goal wasn't to, uh, get into real estate. It was just so that we didn't have to uh, pay rent anymore. 
And when we purchased that property, the journey just kind of started from there. I love that. Our, our journeys are similar because it's uh, my wife is the reason I'm in real estate as well. <laughs> like when I bought my first house, I didn't have any money to do it. I had to borrow the money from my wife's 401k. And so like her support is the reason that we are where we are. And so I love hearing your story. I also love that every time you tell the story, you know, to the pennies, how much money you were making. That's, that's how, you know, you were ready to get out when you remember to the pennies, what you were making a year. Yeah. So how did you get from owning the house that you're living in, even though you weren't quite sure you wanted to do that to then buying real estate as a cash flowing asset? Oh, uh, so we stayed in that property for like another year. Then my wife came home from work with another idea. We started to have kids and we was growing up. I was uh, like uh, 24 and I turned 25. So my wife was like, we need to move in a more desirable area because of uh, like the crime rate was really high in that area and different things like that there. So we moved into, we got an FHA loan. We went through, uh, we moved in another property and throughout that process, my wife has, she's a little older than me. So she has always been tapped into credit. I always thought I had bad credit because I just never used, I had a cash truck and everything else. I just had, it was just like cash, you know, from, you know, working and stuff like that when we could afford to purchase it. And, uh, uh, she put me on the credit game. So it was like the realtor was like, well, your credit is not bad. You need to build a credit profile. So I, I had to go through the process. My wife put me as an authorized user on her credit card and she had been using credit card for years. So my credit started to increase and we got approved for the FHA loan and we moved into a more desirable neighborhood. And so the goal was to take the uh, rent from that property and pay for the property that we was residing in, in a more desirable area. And what happened was I, we got the house fixed up and we rented it out and I got a $400 uh, deposit and a $600 rent check. And I was like, man, I got a thousand dollars and I didn't know what I was doing. I got a lease from my uncle Doug. And I was like, I got a thousand dollars by telling some people don't tear up my property sign right here. And I gave him the keys. <laughs> so I got in the truck with that thousand dollars. And I was like, man, I got an $800 paycheck. $868 paycheck a week. I had to bust my butt for and work 40 hours a week. And I was just like, I took three minutes to do this and I'm working 40 hours a week for that. So I just had this idea and I was so excited. And I called my wife and uh, I was like, man, I just got the money, almost a thousand dollars. I got in the truck and I was just uh, excited and it kind of went from there. So when I grew up though, uh, borrowing money was like, it was like, Diff. It was, you was told don't borrow money. Don't go to the banks. If you got a car or something, pay it off. Cause when I was growing up, I just heard people talk about how they want to pay stuff off. You would hear like your grandma or different people. I can't wait till that last payment on this or that last payment on it. So my mind was trained not to borrow OPM, not to go to the bank. So, and, uh, we bought their first property cash. So our goal was to save up. So we learned the thing about compound interest. So we bought their property cash. But that 550 we were paying the rent, me and my wife would still pay that to the bank. So it was accumulating. Like we was because our finances were set up to still pay that. So we were still paying it to the bank and it was saving over time, but we owned the property and stuff like that. And then we got we, we got to the new property, rented that one out, and I rented that one out, and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna try to buy one house a year. So I was gonna try to buy one house a year cash, like we did the other one, take the income tax, and I got on YouTube, bigger pockets and stuff, and I heard about wholesaling. And I was like, man, what if I can try to do that and I could try to take the money we're saving in the money? Uh, yeah, we was saving and accumulating for over a year and take the wholesale profits and turn that into buying one house a year. But a thing happened was and I called this guy, my real estate guardian angel, because this guy changed my life. Uh, I got a property on a contract one time from uh, calling some Facebook ad, calling some for rent signs. 
And one day I was leaving. I had got a, also got a second job in between the time to save up more money because my goal was really to buy another property outright cash. And I called this We Buy Houses sign and this young guy named Scooter Howell answered the phone. And he was like, I was like, you buy houses? And he was like, yeah. And I, was, I looked at the phone because I was like, this young dude, he don't buy no houses or nothing like that there because he sounded like around my age. But actually, he was like, uh, okay, I'll meet you there in 30 minutes. So I didn't think nothing of it. I didn't think he'll come. I went to the property. I texted the seller and said, hey, I'm going to uh, go show the property to an investor. And uh, she got it set up to where the property was unlocked like at 2 o'clock by the time I got off work. And I went over there and what ended up happening, man, this guy, this guy didn't buy the property because it wasn't in his buy box. But, man, this guy sit out there and talked for three hours. And he taught me about he told me in a three hour span about leverage, OPM. He told me about his banker, the phone number, the email. At the time, he had like 77 properties and he was like 33 and he had been an entrepreneur for the last few years. And I was like, man, so everything that that guy told me standing out there in front of that property for three hours, I took home and researched like crazy. I bought every book. I went on YouTube and they was talking about leverage, OPM, equity. And I just uh, really went to college of real estate. And I always say that I went to YouTube University. And I don't got no student loan debt. Like I just researched everything that that guy told me in that span of time. And then it kind of went on from there. All right. So we all know that moment when we caught the bug. That's when you caught the bug and like. It's like the matrix, man. You get pulled out of it and you're like, now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And your brain switches into what do I have to do to do more of this? Henry kind of talked about his. Lamont, you talked about yours. Like when we're trying to teach people to get into real estate investing, it's almost a race to get to that point. We're like, oh my gosh, that I want to do it all the time. So what was your second deal? What lessons did you learn on that one? The second deal, it was a cash deal. I had some money saved up and stuff like that. And then the following year, because I, uh, I owned that property, the first property, all right, but I never went to the bank like the guy told me to do because I was still had the fear of borrowing money. So uh we, we saved up money and we bought that property cash. And what my dad, I usually typically get my dad to walk a property with me because he'd been doing construction and his knowledge for over 30 years. But I just bought that property because the price was so cheap and I bought it. And then when I went, got my dad, it was like, man, he walked in and he was silent. So I was scared. I was like, man, I messed up and stuff like that. So what ended up happening was that property needed to be rewired. It just needed so much work, foundation issues. And I bought it really, really cheap. And I didn't have the funds because I was trying to do everything cash to really get that property off and running. So I bought that property for like six six grand and I sold it to a guy for like 5000 But what that did was uh, that property told me, taught me what type of properties I want to buy moving forward. So that property was kind of like I got an education from buying that property. So I lost a thousand dollars, but I got out of a situation that would have been a money pit because I didn't have the means to get the property up and running. Yeah, man, I, that, that is uh, that's a fantastic lesson. I'm glad you shared that because I think that's a lesson that we all learn as real estate investors. Every single one of us learns at some point what we don't want to buy. And usually it comes because we bought something that we didn't like. I had the same thing that happened on a on a property. It was actually a 12 unit in my portfolio. The numbers were phenomenal. Like on paper, this was a fantastic asset and it made me jump in and buy it. But I learned a lot about uh the tenant class I wanted to support. It made me learn a lot about what kind of repairs I do and don't want to do. And all of those things I, I wouldn't have, like I could have watched a video and learned that, but it wouldn't have sat with me. So it's, you lost a thousand bucks, but really you paid a thousand dollars for uh, an education that's probably saved you way more than that going forward. Yeah, that's an extra important point 
to highlight in today's market because there's this pattern where as real estate gets tougher and tougher to buy, people start breaking their own rules. You start investing in neighborhoods you normally wouldn't invest in. You get into asset classes you normally wouldn't go into. You start taking on challenges and convincing yourself it's okay. But there's a reason that that asset looks so good on paper. They were selling it at the price that they were because someone else had learned that lesson before you went in, right? And then I'm guessing you sold it, Henry? Yes, I sold it and it was the best day of my life. There you go, right? And now someone else is on a podcast somewhere talking about this property that they bought and how it's like (laughs) ruining their life. It's like a haunted house, right? Literally. (laughs) And uh, when you're in situations like now where markets are really hard, it's very tempting to to take the pressure off by getting into those really difficult locations. And it's not to say you can't do it. But like you said, Henry, that wasn't the type of repairs you wanted to make. That wasn't the tenant base that you wanted to manage. There is a personality out there who will do very well, very savvy, connects with those people, understands what they're looking for, how to make it work. But it's just not for everyone. It's definitely not passive income where you're just going to set it and forget it like what you're trying to scale. So beware of the gurus, of the people that are out there selling things that are that are using that method like okay come by in this market and you can get a cash on cash return of 65%. There's always a sucker out there who's going to take it but there's a reason somebody's selling. That's a good question I always ask is why is someone selling this if the numbers are that great? Whenever I used to travel I would get that creeping feeling that I lock my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes, and there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. And you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. 
So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers a targeted 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of net profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, are first in line to get paid. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of a physical asset mitigate downside risk. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by directing your funds from Wall Street to Main Street and supporting local economies. The investment is reserved for accredited investors. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Listen up, business owners, because I've got some quick little math for you. Fewer costs equal more profit. The problem? You're spending more than ever on operations, materials, deliveries, software, and more. So why not reduce your costs and headaches with NetSuite by Oracle? NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Oh, also, NetSuite lives in the cloud, which means you can reduce IT costs with no hardware required. Cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because now you've got one unified business management suite. You can improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. It makes sense that over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. So don't let rising costs sink your business growth. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash biggerpockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. NetSuite.com slash BiggerPockets. Lamont, have you had to have a, a couple experiences like that yourself where you got into something and realized like, oh man, I wish I never would have bought this? Uh, I'm having that later on because when I first started out that I was just hustling. You know, I was hustling, trying to rack up as many houses to support me being at the job and stuff like that. But as you come full circle now, I feel like I'm more of a, re- a real estate investor than a businessman versus what I was when I started five years ago. It was just all about the grind, all about the hustle, doing all the repairs ourselves. And my wife spent every weekend doing our own property management. It was just, uh, so I can say, uh, since that deal that I bought a few years back where well, I sold it and lost a grand, but I got out of a, probably was going to be a money pit. Um, now that I come back full circle years later, I got a better understanding of real estate and a better foundation, uh, behind me. I think about some of that stuff now though, but I don't think I'll be to where I'm at today and, uh, have the capital and have the, you know, the resources I have today if I didn't, uh, buy some of that stuff. Uh, five years ago to kind of get me in the position that I am in today. Yeah, it served its purpose. And I'm sure, you know, the the run of inflation that we had, real estate prices rising, that that definitely helped when you get a property that you want to get out of. Much easier to get out of it if it's gone up in value than when it's staying the same and you're stuck in that quicksand. So I understand you have somewhat of an interesting financing strategy that you're using to continue stacking portfolios. Can you tell us a little bit about how you're using cross-collateralization uh, to pledge equity for future properties off ones you already have? Uh, yeah, I realized that. So after I bought that property and I sold it, I finally went to the bank and met Mr. Jeremy Howe, guy that's become a great friend, a banker and a mentor to me. And uh, what Scooter told me about, I went and talked to him and he was like, hey, we can get that house that you own outright appraised. And our appraisal came back and I was able to borrow some money from uh, what it's worth 
basically what I paid for it. And I took that. And so Scooter called me again one day and I found he found a three unit package deal that was outside his buy box. He had no interest in. So I got it on the contract. I sent it over to the bank and stuff. And I got approved. I got an email one day while I was working, say I was approved for the loan. So I was waiting on them to say something about the down payment and stuff. But they t- they emailed me a closing date. And I was telling my wife, well, they ain't said nothing about because I was listening to bigger pockets and these different podcasts. And they was talking about the money you need to put down a 15 percent. So they never said nothing about the uh, uh, down payment. So when I went to close and we closed on the three properties and then I actually learned, okay, I was like, I wonder what I did to uh, get the financing for these three properties. Then I realized I had collateral from that property that I owned that I bought outright. So a light bulb went off and I was just like, well, if I can do it once, I can do it again. And I just been doing it for years where I buy a property for significantly less what they'll get appraised for from the uh, 80 to uh percent LTV and I have some equity in there and they can roll over and cover the uh, down payment for the next purchase. So I've been able to buy this real estate. So I use that strategy cross collateral and I got lines of credit while I buy cash, renovated with the cash, cash in the line of credit. Then I refinance after the seasoning period. So I've been able to get into these properties with none of my own capital. So I look at it like an infinitive return. Even when I bought doors, I probably shouldn't have bought. It really didn't cost me anything but sweat equity. Like to me, it didn't cost me anything because I just pledged equity from one property to the next one. And it's like an infinitive return because that's $800, $700 more in cash flow that I didn't have. So uh, I just looked at it like that right there. So that's the way that I finance. I love that. I love that strategy, obviously, because I'm a big fan of, of leveraging small local banks to help you invest in real estate. And this is typically a strategy that um, some small local banks will will allow you to do. Now, not every small local bank is... Uh, is cool with it, but a lot of them are. So uh, essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, what their bank is essentially saying is under uh, either you already have a house, either that you have a loan with us on and it's worth way more than what your loan is, or you have a house that you own outright and you're allowing us to essentially put a second mortgage on it to cover what would be your down payment. And then that way you don't have to come out of pocket for that down payment. And then when you go buy the new asset, they do an appraisal on that new asset and they understand that the new asset you're buying, you're also buying it for less than what it's worth. And so because you're buying a great deal and you have equity in other properties that you either have with that bank or are willing to pledge equity on a paid off property with that bank, that they're cool with letting you leverage that because you're essentially giving them access to your uh, your properties. And, and what the bank is essentially saying is, hey, we think you're buying great deals. That's great for us because we'll collect your interest payments. But if in the event you don't make your payments and we have to foreclose, then we would get the property you're buying and we would get the property that you've pledged equity on, which we both know are good deals. And so there's very little risk to us because the lender and it helps you grow and scale your portfolio. I, I hope I, I hope I sum that up right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's uh, basically how I go. And I roll the closing costs, the appraisal fees, processing fees all into the loan. And I go to closing and me and my wife just sign and we got new doors and we collecting cash flow after the renovations and we just move on. That's something I've been discussing more often as we've seen how much money has been created, the way it's meant inflation, just kind of changing how we understand money in the pillars book that I'm writing. I talk about how money is really a storage of energy. So you go and you put in 
40 hours a week at your job. They paid you in $835.33 or whatever it was uh, of energy, right? And so you traded one form of energy for another, and then you can use that to go buy things from somebody else. And then they use that energy to go do what they want to go do. Well, there's more than one form that that energy can be stored in, right? Equity is just the name we use for energy when it's kept inside of real estate. And when you understand that, like Lamont, you sort of intuitively got it. I got all this energy stored in real estate. It's it's similar to energy stored in a bank account. Now, it's not exactly the same because you can't go buy something with shares of equity. You can't go to 7-Eleven and buy a big gulp and say, I'll give you one four-thousandths percentage of this property equity. You have to convert it into dollars first. But when you understand that concept... It doesn't blow your mind to think about going to a bank and saying, I want to get a loan to buy a property, but I don't want the loan on the property I'm buying. I want the loan on a property that I already have. What does the bank care? And so uh, I love that you're sharing this. I love this strategy and like how you're kind of describing you get an infinite return. You could pull that off for the rest of your days as long as you continue to manage this living, breathing entity that we call a portfolio. Henry, what are you thinking? What I do want to say on that is because a lot of people are listening to this and if they are uh savers or they are because uh, there's two camps typically with real estate there's like you need to save the down payment and you need to put your money in the deal because you don't want to over leverage right and then there's people that are like yes i want to use other people's money to grow my portfolio right no real estate strategy comes without risk and what i like that you are saying about what you do, because before we talked about how you're you're financing these deals with cross collateralization, you talked about what you're doing with your portfolio. And it's that you you are all you're always taking a look at your portfolio and figuring out where can I sell a property, gain some money, and then you're not just putting that in your pocket, but you're paying off other loans, right? So you're deleveraging as you're leveraging. So you're keeping your risk tolerance where you're comfortable at. And I think that's something that people need to pay attention to. He's not just saying, I just take out all the money I can and just and rack up all this debt. He's very strategically looking at his portfolio and figuring out how to keep my risk and my leverage at a percentage that I'm comfortable with. And I think the other thing that people should think about is he also limits his risk by buying phenomenal deals. He's not saying he's going out here and paying retail value for every property that he buys and just buying it because he knows he can buy it with other people's money. He's being very strategic about the properties you buy. And so I think buying good deals helps you hedge your risk. And I think always taking a look at that portfolio and figuring out how to continue to pay off those notes so that you're, you keep your risk tolerance where you're comfortable with is important. And I think the other thing people are probably thinking is, what about seasoning periods, right? That's the question everybody always asks when you talk about leverage. So what about seasoning periods? Have you run into anything with seasoning periods or how do you handle that with your portfolio? Uh, I want to say this, uh, piggyback on you, what you just said. So sometimes when I do 85% loan to value, I'm typically 80. But when I do, I have to have that capital working for me because interest rates are kind of skyrocketing and pretty high. So if I pull out 85 to max loan advisor. I'm paying two, one to two houses off at all times. And I could double back and get a line of credit against those houses. And if I don't use that line of credit, I got no payments. And with rent increases and stuff like that, that just cash flow that goes into my pocket on a free and clear asset now. And when I want to do a bigger deal or something like that, I can go back and re-leverage that asset to get into something else. So that's uh, how I, uh, I do it. And with seasoning periods, like I said earlier, when we was offline, when I pulled out the, uh, I pulled out a big refi last year and I paid a bunch of personal debt off and a bunch 
personal stuff off and pay my uh personal residence off. I got a, a six figure line of credit and I added it with the line of credits I had on some more houses and I just totaled it up and I went talk to my title company. I said, Hey, if I get a property on a contract, could you get it closed and quick? And they was like, Yeah, 72 hours, we can get it closed. I did have a seasoning period with my lender, but I went talk to him and said, Hey, this is gonna be my strategy moving forward. And I'm actually closing on four refis tomorrow, and this is as fast as this ever went. Uh, this process took less, I say less than 30 days or right inside of 30 days and stuff like that. So I talked to him about the seasoning period and because this would be my new strategy and uh, they kind of work with me on it. So I'm able to get it moving the fastest if I can get it renovated and get a tenant in it and I can show pledge and leases and et cetera, et cetera, and stuff like that. I can move forward with getting the uh, appraisal out and starting the refinance process. I love that answer. And here's why I love that answer. Is because I think people in general, but real estate investors, we always make decisions for other people based on what we think they're going to say or do, right? And so people may hear there's a seasoning period or people may hear I can't do this because of my credit score, but they didn't actually go ask anybody. They didn't actually go do the research. Right. They didn't actually hear from somebody that they couldn't do that. Right. And so, yes, you said what you said was, yeah, my loan had a seasoning period, but I went and I spoke to my lender and I sat down and I explained my strategy and what I'm trying to accomplish. And then you were able to get around it. I think most people, most investors wouldn't even think to do that. They just go, man, I got this loan. It's got a seasoning period, so I can't do anything until the period's up. Man, so I love that you didn't just take that answer and decide it was going to define how you're investing. You did the opposite. And and it's crazy. I was afraid to do that. I was afraid because my best friend, Jeremy, he was like, man, you just need to go talk to him about it. And he kind of gave me the confidence. And I was afraid because it was typically a 30 to 90 day seasoning period. But I was just like, interest rates uh, skyrocketing. I need to be a cash buyer so I can continue to get deals. I got employees. I got an office. I got bills. You know, I got to keep the deal flow and keep it going. So uh, I kind of uh, got outside my comfort zone and went talk to him about it and stuff. But I was hesitant at first, but I just kind of got out my own way and went had the conversation because I knew I had to keep the deals, the pipeline. I had to keep it going to support, you know, the people that work with me and different things like that. How important is it to know your market? Okay, you, you're working in a very niche market. What do people have a hard time understanding when you're talking about your market to investors that don't live there? Uh, man, uh, the purchase price. You can buy a property in my market for 25,000, put 10 to 15,000 in, it's worth 70,000. Like in this market, it'll rent out for seven. Right now, the rent has increased. So you can get 700, 800 plus dollars a month. So, you know, I, when you talk to people that's in different markets and stuff like that, just because I said the price is this much for this particular property, that don't mean it's a a, a hole in the wall. I live in an area where it's uh, the average income is 19000 and some change, you know, for people to try to support their family. And some people make it work. They got cars. They got $150,000 houses and stuff like that in middle class areas. So that's the hard part and stuff like that. Even when I'm talking to new investors that I get the chance to mentor in the area, I always say, man, your house is worth more to you than it is to the appraisal. You need to know your market. You, I know you went in here and put a good labor of love in the property, but you probably have over improved this thing or, and you've paid too much for it. 
So I always try to get them to understand like the ratios of what you need to buy and what your rehab need to be and different things uh, like that. And I take them to some of my properties. So properties that I got that rents for less than 800 bucks, I use indoor outdoor carpet. I go in and use a Formica countertop. I use the Glacier Bay $30 $50 faucets. I got a different type of rehab with those properties. Then the properties I get $800 plus for, we do the 12 by 12 ceramic tiles on the floors and the washroom areas. We do the uh, vinyl planks. We do the uh, ceramic tile on the countertops and different things like this. So it's like different ways that I rehab properties based on the return that I will get and stuff like that. So I just try to tell people when they get in the market, you know, it's a smaller market. So sometimes when I'm talking, yeah, our rental rates are less, our property value is less and stuff like that. But, you know, if you understand the market, you can still make it work for you. You know, I've been uh, at the job for four years. Uh, I was recently able to retire my wife and she's been at the job for a year. So I've been putting it together and uh, making it work. So just by knowing the market and knowing what I should pay for a property, what I shouldn't pay for a property and et cetera. Yeah, that can be a big problem, especially for out-of-state investors. When they see the spreadsheet, the spreadsheet doesn't tell the whole story. It tells a piece of a story. And then they go, you know, my market's expensive. I'm going to go buy over there because price to rent ratios are better. They have 1% rule deals. And then they got to do a rehab and they get a bid from a contractor that says 35000 And they go, that's like one bathroom in my market. What a steal. And then they spend way too much on the property and it takes about 17 years before they get enough equity to pay for that rehab that they went too big on. It's very easy to make these mistakes. Henry, have you seen the same thing in your market since you guys are both in kind of like niche markets? Yeah. Uh, in my market, it's uh, the price points are, are higher, obviously, than, than where Lamont's market is. But the, the values are the same. And I want to make sure that's what, you know, people understand that the, 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 principles, I should say, are the same. I think people probably hear your price points and go, well, this doesn't relate to me because I can't buy a house for $20,000 or $30,000. And I promise you, it absolutely relates to you because it doesn't matter what the price points are. He's still not going out there and paying retail value for a house. He's going out there and figuring out how do I get these houses at a discount? And then how do I leverage the equity that I just got on day one to build and grow my portfolio. And those fundamentals apply no matter what your price point is in your market, right? And and so I I want to make sure that people think less about the dollar sign he's talking about and more about how he's doing this because these fundamentals work across any market. They work in my market. I do the exact same thing in my market. You asked about how that applies here. I am in the same way. We are consistently looking for how can I buy, how can I walk into equity on day one? And then how can I leverage that equity or equity I have in another property to help me build my portfolio? And then just like Lamont, we take a look at our portfolio and we think about, all right, what do we have how can I monetize this and de-risk to a point where we're comfortable? Or how can I take what I have and then move into a larger asset? Because uh, part of this too is lifestyle, right? I may sell a property because I want to go buy something that has more doors under one roof, which means less uh, maintenance than if I have 10 doors with their own roofs individually. And that helps with lifestyle that helps with the time we have to spend on that deal or the time somebody has to spend at that property. And so a lot of it too, isn't just about the money. It's about how do I get my portfolio to a place that allows me to have the lifestyle that I want? 
what would it be like to, to have a movement that had people quit telling you how many doors they have at every meetup and they started saying how many roofs they have? Right, that's right, the real right, flex, right? right? How many roofs do you have? Two. Right. right. Maybe they have like 700 doors, but we all want to have those assets, yeah. not, yes. not death by paper cut. I haven't too many different. So like at some point, you know, I'm sure Lamont, you're, as you continue to grow, you're building equity. Do you have a plan in place for how you plan on transitioning into selling some of these and maybe 1031 ing into larger assets where the management is a little bit e- easier? Yeah. Yeah. Because I understand with these properties, like I have a system in place that I got to make it work. I have in-house guys, uh, Family members that were in house, I have an in house property manager so that, uh, that's paid by the hour so that cuts down on my uh, property management overhead and my day to day tasks and stuff like that. And just looking at the uh, properties and saying, you know, knowing when it's time to exit. So one day my plan is to pay some down significantly, which I have already had, like for me to be 35 years old, you know, debt free personally. And I got these properties that I got really low loan of values on that I can refinance, like I did earlier, pull out a big water cash and live that into a, like a mobile home park or apartment building, or I can just sell them off, you know, look at how much I owe and know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make twenty dollars to $25,000 a door when I sell these 10 properties at a time, like sell 10 here, you know, come back later to sell 10 here and stuff like that. So my, so it'll kind of uh, work itself out and stuff like that. So yeah, I do have goals of uh, being able to uh, do that one day, but right now it's just, uh, just keeping it going, keeping it uh, steady and stuff. Yeah, that's, I mean, you have the option to do that when you want to do it. And that's what matters is that you are not in a position where you have to do things that you don't want to do, or you're making decisions you don't feel good about out of desperation. You're in the driver's seat. What you have works. If you decide you want something different, you can pursue that. If you don't, you don't have to. You can decide based on the age of your kids, the needs of the family. I mean, that's what's so great about real estate is when you're working that corporate job, you do what the company needs you to do. It does not matter what your relationship status is, what your kids happen to need, right? You you serve at the hand of the king. And when you get into being an entrepreneur and owning these assets, to a degree, you still have to answer to people. There, when a tenant has something break, you have to figure that out. You have to look at the books and make sure things are going well. But you have much more control over when you throw yourself in, go into acquisition mode, ramp things up, when you sit back and analyze what you got and kind of just trim the herd, make it go easier. It is a much, much easier way to to live life. And it's cool seeing that you've sort of, uh, you've crested that hill. So let's get, let's, uh, revisit your portfolio here. You have 107 units. I mean, that alone is a pretty cool thing to be able to say $70,000 a month in rents. Congratulations on what you've been able to do so far. This is a great story. You said your wife was able to retire. What's next for you guys? And what is your why? What's next? You know, that was a really big goal of mine. You know, that's why we made seeing to pay off some debt and do some things, moving some money around. And that was just a goal that I was chasing and stuff like that. So for us right now, we're just brainstorming. You know, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, I, uh, like I said, I bought a lot of properties that my temperament at this age in life can't handle and stuff like that. So it haven't all been peaches and cream. That's a very nice and professional way of communicating what Henry and I know exactly what you said. My temperament at this stage in life is not conducive to these types of problems that elicit from a portfolio of such. Yeah. So I just, uh, once we did that, uh, you know, we, now we got time. We in the office every day. We got time to brainstorm and just, uh, I always, I can't say do it the wrong way because of it led me to this point, but I could say do it a better way and having more knowledge and wisdom and experience under my belt. So, uh, the next step of the journey is just, uh, 
getting out, want to go bigger. You're trying to streamline everything. We got out of for years. We was doing our own repairs. So my co- so my, my uh, output cost was significantly low and I was able to kind of like save up some and stuff like that. We did our own management and stuff like that. But when we realized, hey, we wanted the business instead of another job and just being around Henry, Todd, Dre and some other guys, I kind of picked up their systems and, you know, you want, I like in the beginning, it was like I quit a job to start another job, but it was for myself. So I appreciated it. But at the end of the day, I wanted to kind of streamline things. So that's what we were working on and stuff like that and trying to set ourselves up to go bigger, invest in bigger assets. Yeah, the cash flow might be lower, but this property we're buying today is a 20 year hole, a 30 year hole. Like we see ourselves holding this way longer than some of the ones that we picked up in the beginning and stuff like that. So that's kind of where we're going, just trying to streamline everything. You know, for years, it was like a family-owned business. So now we got subs that we work with. We got people we contract work out to because the amount of properties, like it's it'll change because now I'm kind of buying some, then I'm selling some. So the portfolio kind of balances out and stuff like that there. So uh just going through those changes that you learn five years in it, you know, I kind of grew and evolved and just thinking and seeing things different at this point in my life. I love seeing your growth, man. Uh I've enjoyed getting to know you over the past few years. I want to ask you a question I've asked you before, uh, but it, it's been a, it's been probably, man, a year and a half, maybe two years since I've asked you, but it's, uh I think it's pretty cool. So outside of those first two houses that you paid cash for, when you really started growing and scaling your portfolio, how much of your own money have you had to spend acquiring any of the rest of those assets? Man, I haven't put a down pay, uh, none. I just, like I say, been buying cash and burning out and I've been leveraging equity. Uh, I actually, it was weird last week, man. My wife closed on our dream land to build our dream home. You know, uh, uh, we believe in delayed gratification. So as we were scaling up our income, we didn't scale up our lifestyle income. We didn't scale up. So we and I had to put a down payment down on the land. And uh, it was weird because I'm used to going to closing without doing it. So when I read the HUD statement, it said cash from to borrow cash for however. Yeah. So and I was like, man, this is weird for me and stuff like that. So uh, uh, none, man. I just uh, figured out a way to like I just look at it. You know, some it do have risk involved, but I just look at it as like. Instead of having dead equity and that sitting, I'm just going to leverage it to buy cash flow because my goal is from day one was to make as much cash flow a month as possible and stuff. So I haven't, uh, besides my own personal land that I just purchased to build my dream home, I haven't put a down payment down since I've been uh, on this journey. Well, Lamont, we appreciate you sharing your story, especially some of the creative elements of what you're doing. You sort of combined hustle with creativity, with ambition, with delayed gratification, all these great ingredients. And the end result was a portfolio everybody would love to have and a future that looks even better than where you are right now. So thanks for being here, Henry. Thanks for finding Lamont or getting him on our show. This has been awesome. You have any last words you want to share with our audience, Lamont? Oh, uh, man. You asked me earlier, my wife, just uh, my family. You know, I always, uh, my saying to my kids and to me is always, I wanted to figure out a way to upgrade the living because I knew making 800 and some bucks every two weeks weren't going to get it and stuff like that. So just trying to reach for the stars and give them the life that they deserve. And it's hard work, man. I'd have been under houses on top of roofs, pl- putting flooring down, sacrifice weekends when my friends came in town, couldn't watch football. I'm a big fan. And it was just hard work, you know, buying houses and then just jumping out the plane and figuring out how to fly later on. So I just say, man, assess where you at in life and just go for it. You know, some people going to agree to disagree and that's okay. But at the end of the day, you know your plan, you know what you're trying to accomplish in life and you know what you're trying to do. It always 
always ain't gonna be pretty. You know, I tell it always ain't gonna be pretty, but if it worked for you, keep it keep it rocking and keep it rolling. You know, so uh for me it just uh just stand down man and just uh figuring it out and that's just exactly what i did and it landed me upon where i'm at today so if i can do it no college making less than combined household between me and my wife with less than 30 grand for each of us to where we at today if i can do it i just feel like anybody can do it because nothing was handed out nothing was given it was all just hard work and determination and sacrifice if people want to reach out and find out more about you where can they get you? I'm on Instagram, uh, uh, 1-800 underscore hustler. Uh, so I feel like my Instagram name is my lifestyle. I've been wanting to be a hustler since I was a kid, you know. So I do some posting on there, and I'm always uh, on the weekend DMing people back and stuff like that. So that's kind of the only social network that I uh, kind of be on. So if somebody had any question, I'm always up for answering or taking a phone call and just trying to figure out how I can help somebody. Like when I met a guy, uh, scooter i met him years back and he helped me so i just look at it like paying it for henry how about you you can find me on instagram i'm at the henry washington on instagram or you can go to www.henrywashington.com there you go and i am davidgreen24.com you want to check out my website or go follow me at davidgreen24 on instagram facebook twitter wherever it is that you like to follow people. This has been great. Appreciate you, Lamont. We're going to have to have you on again in the future to see how things have grown. But thank you guys. Go please do follow Lamont and Henry both if you want to learn more about real estate investing. These are great resources to learn. This is David Green for Henry, everybody's favorite Washington, signing off. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam! Instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.